0: I don't really care for like-minded. I actually surround myself with United Colors of Benetton racially, gender, ethnographically, socioeconomically. I like being around people that don't think like me because mm. I think I learn from them. I grow from them. They challenge me. I sure. have to think differently. So while I like like-minded people, I don't seek it. I actually seek people that share the same family values, mm. the same desire for legacy and social impact, the same enterprising mm. entrepreneurship. Even if they're executives, it's a mentality. Here's the thing, it's not about the role, it's choosing change versus status quo.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Dierdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. Today I'm making friends with Alisa Jacobs. Alisa is a serial entrepreneur, brand marketer, and social impact leader specializing in product innovation and community building. She's also been the co-founder and CEO of several venture-backed startups. Throughout her career, she's landed partnerships with people like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sean Diddy Combs, Ellen DeGeneres, the Kardashians, the Grammys, and even the NBA. Our missions are actually pretty similar. It's to democratize opportunity and increase inclusivity in the creator economy. This is a fun and fascinating conversation with somebody that I've been looking to chat with for quite some time. And I really think that you guys are going to enjoy it. So please, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Alisa Jacobs. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I am making friends with Alisa Jacobs. Alisa, what's up? Welcome to the show.
0: Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here.
1: Okay, so I believe the first time that we met was at an event, a mastermind event, a mastermind Mm -hmm. that I'm in, and a mastermind that you spoke at with uh, Dan Fleischman yeah. in uh, Miami, I think it was. Yeah. And then, so from there, I started following some of the stuff that you're working on and was like, man, there's really, really cool things that she's doing. And then we randomly bumped into each other again uh, a couple months ago at mm-hmm. uh, the Pump Foundation mm-hmm. uh, Gala. And so I was like, hey, well, we should, we should do an episode together sometime. Yeah. So now here we are. Um, thanks for having us hosting in Beverly Hills area right now. And so I want to go back in time here, set the scene, For people listening or watching who may not know who you are, and really go through the entire story here. So let's say 11-year-old Elisa Jacobs Mm -hmm. set the scene. What was life like for you? Where were you? All
0: that good stuff. Man, she was a pisser. Um, (laughs) 11-year-old Elisa actually was onto her third company. (laughs) Really? Um, I probably made more money between like 9 and 15 than most of my 20s. Um, wow! No way. Yeah. Well, was, what was the first company? So I was kind of a serial entrepreneur, really, really young, and my parents were hippies that were like, "Yeah, yeah, do whatever you want, dress yourself, right?" Hmm. And I don't think they realized how much money I was making because it seemed like fun odd jobs, slightly elevated from a lemonade stand, which I basically franchised, so I didn't have to do any of them, <laughs> um, <laughs> with like different price points depending on like how saturated the lemonade was. That's
1: hilarious. Um, but yeah, the
0: first company. What was the first company? The first company was a card company. Okay. And I saved up my allowance, which was not very big, yeah. to buy print shop deluxe. I don't know if you remember this, where mm. you could like create your own greeting cards basically. And they were okay. like these little like quadrant 4 folded things. And I so I bought <laughs> I bought print shop deluxe and I thought I was gonna be Hallmark. So I came up with all these birthdays, milestones, captions, yeah. quotables, right? Three-inch binder. And Went and hawked them to all my neighbors, but when you're a cute little kid, yeah, and you're bringing on-demand portable solutions on a an annual basis for all these different holidays, people buy them. Yeah, and I was selling them for a premium, and so I would sell like for like two bucks a pop these yeah. homemade greeting cards. Yeah, but I would package them, so I'd be like, or you can get them for the low, low price of whatever for <laughs> twenty for the holidays, or wild card for this number of birthdays, as long as you know whatever. So that was the first one. It was called Dare to Dream Cards Incorporated. Nice. My mom still has the binder, and the back actually says A Limited Liability Corporation by Elisa Jacobs. And there was like no internet, by the way. So she's like, I didn't know what that meant. I have no idea who taught you what an LLC was at like eight, but you spelled it right. (laughs) That's funny. There's that. I had a jewelry company, taught myself how to make. And
1: no entrepreneurship from your parents at all.
0: So. I wouldn't say entrepreneurship. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. He was actually first the head of PR for Shell Oil and Gas for like 12 years wow. after the Coast Guard, after being a thespian, after okay. living a lot of lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, And when he left, he started um, an ambulance medical device company that was one of the first to basically rent equipment, which was a solution with impact because in the medical field, they were not able to get to like the emergencies quickly enough because mm. there wasn't enough. Trucks, basically. Yeah. So he was very entre- entrepreneurial and enterprising. But yeah, my mom was, you know, a respiratory therapist that became a college professor okay. in Allied Health. And my dad was in foster care and social work my whole life and the CEO of a nonprofit. So he was working with a lot of like immigrant families and at-risk youth and okay. social work. Okay. So they were always very socially entrepreneurial, but they weren't
1: like- Starting business businesses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. So it was literally just a in-your-blood thing. Like, You you don't remember ever seeing somebody doing this and going like, I want to do that. It was just more like, I like to make money and come up with ideas.
0: I actually love that question because I don't know the answer. Hmm. I always thought it was my parents because they are so encouraging and loving and empowering. But I remember going back during quarantine. And so two things happened.
1: But going back, so where's that? Sorry,
0: Massachusetts. Okay. So I was living in New York. I lived here in LA for almost eight years. I moved to New York um, to lead culture and partnerships at Diageo, which is like a 20-something billion dollar beverage alcohol company. Okay. So it was like Ciroc, Don Julio, De Leon, a lot of celebrity and partnerships, et cetera. So I moved there, was there about six and a half years. And then during quarantine, went back to visit my parents for a couple of months and paid for a very overpriced storage unit in New York, Manhattan. Um <laughs>
1: More expensive Certain. than most apartments. Yeah. I mean when you're not living in it. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> adds up
0: quick. Yeah. But I remember I found this box. And this is not a direct answer, but you'll understand why I'm telling you. I found this box of books because I'm a super nerd and I love reading. I still love reading. I like physical books. Okay. I've never had a Kindle. I've never listened to an audiobook. I aspire to, but I, I like touching and feeling and yeah. highlighting and you know. And so there was these books and they were global folklore. It was like Chicano literature and Nigerian and Chinese and Cherokee, and like literally folklore and fables from around the world. Mm. And I remember going over to my mom and being like, This is why I'm how I am. What were you guys feeding me and reading me? (laughs) That's
1: so interesting. And she looked at me
0: like I was crazy and was like, I know you're not giving me credit for you being a crazy kid. And I was like, What do you mean? Why would I know what any of these cultures are, much less have interest in them? Yeah. She was like, I will never know. But when you would get a reward, you were allowed to pick a book from the bookstore at the time. It was Barnes and Noble or Borders or whatever. Yeah. And she's like, you would find parts of the bookstore we didn't know existed. That's like so categories funny. that we didn't even know there were aisles for. Yeah. And she's like, you were just always like this. And I asked her about the entrepreneurship because it wasn't just entrepreneurial in the sense of like, you know, doing newspapers, which I also did, or literally franchising the three cul-de-sacs in a row for lemonade, lemonade stands, stands. Um, <laughs> and water on the side of the road on like the main drag in between the three streets in case no one came down, like really geographic target. Yeah. Um, It was teaching myself new skills. And so I didn't know how to do copywriting, but I was really creative and I liked art and drawing. And so designing these cards and, and coming up with witty, I don't know what that's called. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. was really fun. I didn't know how to make jewelry. I literally taught myself with like needle nose pliers and wires and yeah, yeah. Got one of those plastic bins with compartments. Oh and yeah.
1: Beads. Yep.
0: And then with uh, basically estate sales, I uh, I called it um, like yard sales, but it really wasn't. I would go to the neighbors and find out like what they had, they didn't want hmm. and not ask for any fees. I'd ask, what do you want to get for this? And so they would price everything that they were willing to get rid of. And again, at seven years old, eight years old, 11 years old, you're cute and enterprising yeah, and gregarious. Right, right. and precarious right. And they're like, yeah. Okay, and you're
1: going to get whatever. rid of this junk in my house for me. So I charge yeah.
0: 20%. Yeah. Whatever they wanted. And then anything that didn't sell, there was like a junk haul for like charity. Yeah. And so I would also take the onus of donating anything that didn't sell. But I made a killing because there was like 15 houses per block on the three cul-de-sac streets in a row I was allowed to ride my bike to. Yeah. Which at this point, by 11 or 12, I had bought a mongoose stunt bike with no brakes. And my mom was not for the, the,
1: the mongoose. Bad. Remember the mongoose? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it had, um, and then I bought the little pink basket <laughs> to go with my boy's BMX bike <laughs> to carry my uh, binder around <laughs> with my belt. So I was a bit of a, um, a bit of a vision at 11. But that's really fun. Yeah, I, I, made, I mean, I started a college fund. Do
1: you have any siblings?
0: I have an older sister.
1: Did she do anything similar?
0: No, she okay. did not. She was in student council, vice president of her class, four and a half years older. Okay. Played volleyball. She was much more rebellious than me. And so I don't know what she was up to because she wasn't around much. Yeah. But um, in honesty, like, I think a lot of the things I did were for her attention. And so at four or five years younger, I had parents that, you know, they met, were engaged two months later, married six months later, and have been married for almost 47 years. Mm -hmm. And they're very liberal. They're very entrepreneurial in the sense of like social impact. Mm -hmm. And very like do what do you right? Yeah. So I was never really seeking their approval because that was like a given. That was the biggest form of luxury or privilege you can have, right? Mm. My sister, on the other hand, I was like, love me, need me, be my friend. <laughs> yeah, right. She used to call me. Duck- do you remember Land Before Time? Oh
1: uh, yeah, yeah.
0: She used to call me Ducky because I was like, yep, 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 <laughs> yep, yep. Your
1: That's favorite hilarious. color is my favorite color.
0: Your favorite number is my favorite number. Do you like me yet? Yeah, you know? right. And I-, I called her Sarah because her name is actually Sarah, but there was this like. Cranky triceratops that like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so that was our dynamic. That's really funny. And so yeah, she I became this crazy overachiever, kind of seeking her attention and affection, not realizing it was causing competition for her that I wasn't even aware of. And my parents were just like, Are you coming home today? Right. Like I was yeah. just doing so many extracurricular that
1: Right. It's crazy to me always looking at the sibling dynamic because I find it I find it so interesting that the personality can drive that much of, yeah. of how you end up in life. Because yeah. you grow up same household, you know, yeah. unless you're like a decade plus apart, you're growing up with basically the same parents. You know what I mean? Because right. obviously the further you go, right. the more your parents can change over time. but
0: The same version of your parents' yeah, own journey.
1: Right, right. And the way that they raised you was probably very similar. Same household, same values, same, you know, structure. And then you can end up comp- like on totally separate pages and, and doing wildly different things. Yeah. That's always so fascinating to me is why I asked the question. So you are uh, super entrepreneurial growing up. Was college in your household like a, a non-negotiable? Like you have to go to college and you have to get good grades. Was that always something that was on the table for you, for, uh, for you guys? So I wouldn't
0: say a non-negotiable. I think that, you know, my parents are New Yorkers, true New Yorkers. I grew up in Massachusetts. They were... Basically, first generation, their parents all came through Ellis Island, immigrant family. Oh, from where? I mean, uh, Germany and like Russia, Poland. Okay. So I think like for them and New England mentality, the things that we value as a, a region is like family values, education, work ethic. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a non-negotiable in terms of like, you have to get good grades. You're going to be jailed or grounded if sure, you don't. Sure, sure. I grew up in a really small suburban kind of Roman Irish Catholic town and was sort of a, not a black sheep, but a bit of a unicorn in not being named Christine or Katie. <laughs> and um, so I think it was just always an assumption, not necessarily an expectation or requirement. Okay. But I was a super nerd. Like I loved okay. education. Uh, I thought I was going to yeah. get a PhD. Like that's it was super interesting. My
1: that's super interesting. Is why I asked that. Cause like I, I, Typically, if you're really entrepreneurial, you tend to shy away from, right. you know, the the academic, you know, traditional path of schooling or whatever. Right. So it, seem, it seems like that was something that even more fueled your entrepreneurship was the formal education and yeah. taking that into the kind of enterprise that you yeah. were always involved in.
0: So I, I think that for me, I've always, I was never big on like routine and rigidity or structure. So it was not that I wanted like, the institution of academia. Yeah. But I love learning. And my mom was a teacher and my dad actually prior to his social work was a teacher. And I come from multi-generational community leaders. So on my mom's side alone, there's pastors and rabbis dating back many, many generations and freedom fighters in a daughter of the American Revolution, the Civil War, like what I believe was the right side of history, whatever that means mm. along the way, mm. but a lot of educators. Yeah. And so- It was less about going to school and more of what cheat codes can I get to hijack and hack learning so Mm. that I can accelerate the process, including networking. So my sister, on the other hand, did not go straight to college. She went to Israel, lived on a kibbutz. We didn't know if she was ever coming home. A year later, went to school, graduated, and then continued her journey. But for me, I was early decision. Like I wanted to get right in. Yeah. But instead of going to UNC or any of these other really great schools, I went to University of Maryland because I knew I wanted to be in a metropolitan area and my network was going to be the most important thing. And so I didn't go to college for school. I went because it was a D1 university and I thought I wanted to be in sports journalism. Mm. I went because it was DC and I knew that coming from a really small town in suburban Massachusetts, I wouldn't grow or learn if I stayed there.
1: Yeah.
0: And I went because I knew that my relationships would be what catapulted me. And so I actually graduated early. Some days I'm like, I don't know if I should have. That was really fun. I did really good with the whole like college thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went from like vice president of Pramanum, the honor society, doing all the volunteer work and like tutoring the athletes to semi-illegally throwing club parties for all of the celebrities when they came to town. Yeah. Um, so I had a really diverse experience. I actually had a radio show um, in college and I just... Did all the things, graduated early and kept it pushing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Was that uh overall experience something that you look back on and would recommend to a lot of other people in terms of like I just think there's a lot, there's a lot of conversations being had now. I, you know, yeah. our our parents' generation was a little bit different where it was like if there was a clear path. It was like if you do go to college and you do get a degree, right. you will statistically have a much right. better chance of succeeding. And now I feel like it that is not necessarily true anymore yeah. with rising you know, cost yeah. of college degrees. And then the fact that almost everybody has one entering into the you know career field right. and, you know, salaries are down, schooling is up, debt is high, yeah. and it's no longer like the common and all of these tech companies are even saying like, oh, you don't have to have a college degree to work right. here. Uh, what What are your thoughts on that, on college as a whole? And in terms of like, it was specifically related to how your experience was.
0: I think that's a really good question. I think it's a really timely question because Popular or unpopular opinion, I'll give a bit of a controversial answer because it's somewhat hypocritical. For me, I would do it a hundred times over. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best decisions of my life, one of the best experiences of my life. I'm a very proud Terrapin. Like I loved Maryland. I am proud of like what Kevin Plank has done with Under Armour. I'm proud that, you know, uh Jim Henson and the Muppets came out of there, right? Like yeah. there's a the guy that founded Oculus. Yeah.
1: yeah. Went, right. So okay. like
0: there's a level of
1: Loyalty, Affinity, or loyalty, family, almost, yeah.
0: Um, and the best relationships of my life, and some of my childhood relationships, my college relationships, my friendships that ground me and really shaped me in a lot of ways came through and from and by that experience. Mm. Do I think it is required to get a salaried position? No, and why I say somewhat controversial is like I'm obviously I won't well maybe not obviously but I'm very involved in Web three and transmedia as well, right? And to me, it's just iteration of the internet. Mm. I don't look at it as isolated or independent. I don't look at it as hype or siloed. I look at it as technology, servicing, an economy, and an ecosystem that allows for culture and commerce to collide, right? Yeah. And community. So when I look at the decentralization of things, it's institutions, it's corporate America, mm. it's academics,
1: yeah. it's
0: marriage, and a lot of things that have really shape shifted in our generation and we're watching the world change right yeah. before our eyes. So when you ask is college for everyone or would I recommend it? I think it's incredibly personal for a couple of reasons. One is financial. And, you know, I was fortunate to have like some help get loans, mm-hmm. honestly have been working my whole life. So yeah, like, right. I, if I did not have the luxury and we were very like middle-class, we were not affluent, Yeah, but going to an out of state state school it, it was not, not a cost, right? Sure, sure. But that was also a deterrent as to why I didn't go for MBA and then PhD and all of these things that yeah. growing up, no one put it on me, but I wanted to be,
1: yeah. again, yeah.
0: learning was so important to me. I thought I needed all of these like right. badges of honor and certificates. This proves
1: say, that right? you learned something. Yeah. yeah, right.
0: And so I think your why is always the most important driving force. Hmm. So for me, yes, it was the right decision and it was the right college. I might not have Said that if it wasn't the right university sure, choice yeah. or city choice, even right, yeah. D.C. was a really big part of my life. To where when people asked where I was from, I would forget. Mass- I'd be like, Massachusetts. Like I would forget because <laughs> it was such formative years. Yeah, right? yeah. And I never really identified with Boston because while I love the city and where I come from, it is this like hyper-educated, hyper-liberal, apparently very progressive <laughs> OG city, but it's actually. Pretty racist and compartmentalized. When you break down hmm. how the communities operate in the actual city, hmm. which I don't align with, which is why I love New York, which is why I love DC, even LA. Well, it's very um, cut up.
1: Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm.
0: still a lot of everything, right?
1: Oh yeah.
0: Um, but to summarize, I think because there's a decentralization and deinstitutionalization, I don't think it is the right financial decision for most people. Yeah. I also think that we, as a society and as shepherds of the space, Owe more alternative education systems because the problem is a lot of people then glorify not going to college that are not enterprising or entrepreneurial or don't have the tools or resources.
1: Totally.
0: Yeah. And then they're just stuck. Right. And so the skills that I learned in college had nothing to do with communication studies or minoring in socio behavioral or English or Spanish or Edward Bernays PR to understand the psychology of marketing. It was the community I built. It yeah. was the life skills I built. It totally. was the independence that I fostered. So a lot of my journey now, both within the industries that I've existed in across seven different categories of culture, and in my new endeavor, is actually very rooted in education. Mm. But it's in revolutionizing education in ways that also service our learning styles because most people don't learn in the format
1: 100%, yeah. that
0: school gives us. But I don't think most um, leaders and educators or professors actually understand how to do situational education the way we learn situational leadership. Totally. Does that make
1: sense? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Really, the answer is just as nuanced.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's like every every situation is going to be different. Not for depends on what you want to do. It depends on where you're going to go. Yeah. You know, it's just that the at this point we've basically blown up the old school narrative of like you cannot achieve this no without. So literally. Yeah, the right, old school. right. 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 <laughs> Literally. And, and, yeah. and so now it's become more of like a, no, pretty much you can do whatever you want to do yeah. at this point. Like, unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, like you can do it without a dot right. without a degree, you know what I mean? And obviously a few other, right. you know, segments of, of nice studies. Sure. Yeah. But then I think the intention and what you said, I thought was really uh, important. And if I ever went that path, it definitely would have been the most top of mind for me, which is the relationships. Right. Um, because when you go to, a, a place like that where there's actual things happening, you know, and you're not just going right. to like the local community college to like get your AA, you know, right. it's just like, what, like, what are you doing this for? What's right. the intention? What's the purpose behind it? Cause going out of state to a different school in a right. big area and meeting all these people, you know, like how many of those people have you done business with? Have you worked with, have right. you had community with outside of the, the realm of just going to college with
0: them? You know what I mean? Well, and I would just add to that, that, There's vocational skill sets too, right? So like there are trades that you need to go learn, but it doesn't have to be at a university or an Ivy League. Sure. So it's where do we access academia and education and legitimate information? Yeah. Because previously, the disparity in access to education information or wealth for especially, you know, gender equity, diversity, socioeconomics was access. Like actual, like you had to have a certain level of, uh, you know, wealth to even have a computer to right, Google. Things, right, right. Right. And so now I think we're in the attention economy where there's such a saturation of information that yeah. it's not that there's not enough access to learner information. It's that it's not curated or filtered mm. or vetted. Yeah. So we don't know the quality of what we're learning because Wikipedia is not where you're going to get your makeshift degree. Sure. You know? Sure.
1: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast indeed.com/travis terms and conditions apply if you need a hire you need indeed okay so kind of entering back into the story of the timeline here so you go to school mm-hmm. great experience you're pushing you're doing a dozen different things and doing them all well what do you do directly after school
0: i'm just i'm laughing cuz there's no like Normal answers to any of this. Like, I had a really unique. <laughs>
1: Somebody tells that. me we wouldn't be having a conversation if you yeah. had normal answers. To I was everything. like,
0: well, I went and got a job. No. Yeah. Um, in school, I also stacked like 21 credits on two days because I had three jobs. So I was working for the Redskins when they were still the Redskins. Yeah. Very Googleable. I also <laughs> was working for the NFL Players Association and Players Inc. So I was writing for NFL.com. I was in the marketing department. I had incredible mentors.
1: This is all during college. All
0: during college. I worked three days a week in DC and went to school two days a week. And then nights I was throwing parties in <laughs> DC and like going volunteering downtown.
1: So really underachieving, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. I slept, I slept a ton. <laughs> a ton. Yeah. But I really lived a lot of lives in that period. Yeah, yeah, And so I thought I actually wanted to do like sports journalism. And I remember Mike Wilbon, who's pretty prolific in sports, was a really great mentor during that phase. And I remember thinking I wanted to be like a talking head, like do sports journalism and media. I'll never forget both in college and then just a couple of years ago, a recent conversation we had after he had rest in peace done a Kobe interview downtown. We used to meet up for hot chocolate. He doesn't drink. Like it would be like in between different things. We would have like hot chocolate meetings in like whatever season, whatever city. And he said the same thing to me that he had said back in college, which was you care too much about everything. And I took it really personally initially mm. because I thought he was telling me that I wouldn't be a good broadcaster. Mm. And he was telling me the reason he's a great broadcaster is the only thing he cares about sure. is the soundbite. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, you have so many questions. He's like, you ask me questions I don't even think to think about. Yeah. I think about where's my seat? What am I asking? Maybe who's in the chair. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. I want to get the best content and I need it to be successful, go viral, whatever it is be great for what it is. And used to write for the Washington Post as well. Mm. But it was always about the content only. Yeah. And he always told me I thought like a producer because I cared so much about the life cycle. Like what happened before? What happens after? How did we get here? What are the like, what's the story? Are we storytelling? Are we story selling? Like what's the intent? And he would just be like, who needs to know any of this? Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to really think and, and receive that and be like, okay, maybe I don't want to go directly into being a talking head. Maybe yeah. I want to build brands. And so I graduated early in December. I spent six months funding my way to experiences. So I would take odd jobs, marketing, PR, press releases, um, filling in for managers that couldn't make it out to handle the talent or clients at Super Bowl, Sundance, All-Star Weekend, Oscars, Grammys. I literally did the entire event circuit Mm. and festival circuit that year. And I had amazing relationships. And I didn't consider it networking. It was truly net because there was no agenda. There was no intention. Hmm. There was only attention. And I love people and I love stories like you. And, mm-hmm. and I feel very grateful for being able to learn from the best and ask questions to those that it's almost like being an expert and experts are hacking. Knowledge. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't ever think about it as what can you do for me or will I get a job out of this? It was just, yeah, probably really could have been much more strategic, but it yes. wasn't. It was genuine. And I think that's why this many years later, those same relationships are still just as fresh and fostered. Sure. Because it has been a culmination of really curating and cultivating, not expecting or requiring anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it all the time and call it engineering serendipity. Serendipity's, you know, by definition, unengineerable, yeah, but yeah. if you get around really great people with that type of a mentality, like yeah. a service first, giving first mentality. Yeah. So there's so many people that especially in that have high positions or whose time is in high demand, they are so used to so many people wanting everything from them. Right. That just to be with somebody who's just like, what can I do? Like how how do I how do I add something to, to your life is just like a breath of fresh air for them. Yeah. And to your point, like this guy that's sitting down with you, it's a broadcast journalist that A lot of people would like pay for his time. You sit down with them and get a hot chocolate whenever you're in the same city because obviously there was like something about you that enriched his life a little bit further. There was like some value that he pulled from the conversations. Even if it was just like somebody that I can share my lifetime of knowledge with that I've gained over a successful career. That is actually going to implement it and see positive change in their life, right. you know. Because that's the conversation I have with so many people, where it's like, if you're struggling to find a mentor, you're probably not putting yourself in the right position. You're probably not somebody that's adding enough value, and you're right. probably just not asking the right questions or 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 putting yourself in the right situations. Because right. um, if all of those things were true, like successful people want to yeah. help other people, yeah. and I think this is a kind of a direct. We talk about this all the time with Hollywood makes you think that rich people and people with a lot of money and successful people are all a bunch of arrogant assholes Mm -hmm. who are like unethical and clearly screwed everybody over in their life to get where they are. And my experience has always been completely opposite of that. And are there some assholes? Yes, of course. But most of the people that I know that are in that position is because they've worked really, really hard to put themselves in that position. And they've lived a life that is actually very rigid in the terms of their value structure and how they go throughout doing, you know, their, their day-to-day lives. So They appear to be mean to some people because those people don't respect their time. And the one thing that's the most important thing to the most successful people in the world is their time. You know what I mean? And so, like, if you're going to waste their time, that's like stealing from, like, that's literally like reaching into their wallet and taking money out, except worse because they don't care about that (laughs) because they can go make more money tomorrow. They're not worried about that. They want time. And so, like, if you go to these people and you waste their time, that's it's stealing from them, you know? And so like, if you're somebody that will not waste their time and you'll be the opposite of that and you'll come in and like, you get a little bit of their time and you go implement it and you come back and you're like, look, I did this thing. And they're like, Oh great. Cool. Like let's grab another hot chocolate sometime. You know what I mean? It's just like you, you, if you're, if you're having, if you're struggling finding mentors, I think that it's just, you're not putting yourself in the right position, you're not talking to the right people, you're not asking the right questions, and then you're not finding a way to make sure that you're not going to waste their time. You know, you're not implementing what they tell you.
0: Brilliantly put. And I think there's a lot to unpack in that. I think three really quick points, but like one, I agree completely. It's knowing the right questions, but there's really only two that matter. How Mm. can I help? How did you do it? Mm. Right? Because at the end of the day, you're right. People even arrogant, narcissistic people want to share because it's what they've accomplished.
1: All have a desire for impact or legacy. Yeah.
0: And it's limited because of time, but time is currency. Mm -hmm. And so if it's transactional, which it is because it's also Mm man-made, right? So Mm -hmm. to me, time is just the contracts we have agreeing what time it is Mm -hmm. because we Mm -hmm. just dark out right now, right? Like we just set back time. Right. So if time was not fluid, we wouldn't have different time zones, et cetera. It's literally man-made. So it's we as humans deciding this is how we define how we manage the systems of our life mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's it's an operating system yeah and so it's always going to be spent but is it multiplied or divided mm. and so if it is spent as an investment it's valuable just like any dollar mm-hmm. if it's spent as an expense or like even spendthrift right mm. it's a cost yeah and so if you have a cost, you don't get anything back from that. There's a transaction for the thing that you got. If it's an investment, more comes out of it over time. Sure. And so then time actually multiplies and becomes more efficient. And you also said something really important to me, which is what you have witnessed in certain circles, right? But I think that's also a reflection of you. And the reason I say that is I've seen it all, right? Like right? I've been in entertainment marketing for 15 years. Yeah. I have met anyone you've probably ever Googled, right? For better and for worse. But what I've also witnessed is those that have the worst reputations validly have not so great reputations. I don't always get that side of them. Mm -hmm. I've witnessed it. I've observed it. But I believe that we also compel behavior Mm -hmm. and that we create evidence of what we believe about ourselves and others. Totally. And so if you're an asshole, you're going to be an asshole whether I'm in the room or not. Mm -hmm. But if I witnessed you being an asshole to me, there's something in me that validates it Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. believes that I deserve that in some way, right? Sure, yeah. Whereas that same person has different versions and faces that they show up for people and it says a lot more about you, that that's what you've experienced and I would like to think that I've experienced, then, you know, people don't realize when they're getting a lot of victim complex in their careers, Mm -hmm, right? mm And. So-and-so didn't pay me, or I didn't get this job, or so-and-so won't make the time for me because I didn't ask the right question. That chip on the shoulder, that lack of gratitude, that attention on devastation or lack or loss, yeah, instead of appreciation for what you do have, or the access or the impact, is what is creating a snowball effect yeah. of, of lack. Sure. And I sure. think because you were able to create experiences and evidence that you are worthy or they are. Giving you, and you are worth their time, or someone, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're affirming positive beliefs and expansive beliefs about yourself every time. Whereas a lot of people are actually just playing out their own trauma. Totally. Out yeah. Their own lack of enoughness.
1: It, it's easier for them to assume that they're just being an asshole because they know yes. deep down that if they were them, they would be an asshole. Possibly, you know what I possibly. mean? Like they're they're right. like projecting this idea of who they would be if they were in right. their position, and so it's easy for them just to write it off and be like, "Ah, oh, well, I'll sure. probably be the same way." So whatever. But still, they you know F them or
0: even internalize and project of like they're being an asshole to me because I am smaller than them. I don't have as much money. I don't have as much right. success. I don't have. It's a, a a lot of times it comes down to childhood worth issues, totally, and yeah. identity. You know, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely one of those things that that has been most apparent to me in terms yeah. of like connecting with people that again whose time is just very in demand and yeah. and to me that's the game of life you yeah. know like to your point earlier you said something about you always wanted to accelerate success our agency is called fastpass media because that's like the entire the entire premise behind building successful relationships with people who've done what you want to do a million times over and on a higher level than you even think you're capable of is when you meet those people, it's like, it's like they're at the front of the line in Disneyland, you know what I mean? And you're in the back (laughs) and you're just like walking up through all the line of people. Cause I was like, if it's, it's not like you you, you can't like snap your fingers and get to the front of the line. Like you're, you're, it's, it's the person that everybody hates because they're walking by them. You know what I mean? And and it's like, oh, my buddy's right there. And they're like walking past her, but you're like, you, you check to make sure that yeah. they do have a buddy up there. It's like, all right, sure. And you Imagine let him pass. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that's how that's how I, I picture it because like, you still have to walk the steps. It's just that yeah. you're going faster than everybody else. It's like you're in another lane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because everybody else is waiting their turn in line and you had somebody at the front that's like, here's how you do it. Here's where to step and you can come up here with me. You know what I mean? And so if you can't figure out a way to make sure that people like that view you as a valuable person to spend time with, then you're going to be stuck in the line yeah. and and waiting for your turn or waiting for life to drop something in your lap instead of you going out and making it happen for yourself. Right.
0: And you said it before, it's like in engineering serendipity, right? Yeah. So the engineering part is there are no shortcuts. There is absolutely no substitute for life experience. However, when we talk about expertise or mm-hmm. the outlier effect and the 10,000 hours, the 10,000 hours could be 8,000, could be 7,000. Mm-hmm. If you, have the cheat codes because you're going to the source of expertise and you're accelerating and expediting the process. Right. I don't believe in shortcuts. I don't believe that we actually get to cut the line like there's a, you know, you got to know someone there, right? Sure, sure. But how do we create options and opportunities for people to fast track, again, learning and earning and understanding? Yeah. Yeah. To be able to move more efficiently, because of those ten thousand hours, if you're burning and wasting a significant amount of them, that's not practice.
1: Right? Exactly. That's just totally waste. You do have to have an increased level of competence along yeah. the way. <laughs> you yeah, you can't. You can't <laughs> yeah, exactly. just show up. What I tell people is, like, if you get around really, really high quality, successful people, they'll force you to level up, or they'll force you to get out. Yeah. Like, there's no in between. Like, yeah. you can't just there's be. No you can't be the weight on a bunch of people who were you know, flying, it's like, they're just going to, they're just going to cut the rope at some point. You know, it's like, you either got to learn how to fly or like you're done. You know what I'm saying? And so it really puts you as a person, if you put yourself in a position like that, it's really one of those times where it's like, well, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to level up? Are you going to, you know, are you going to learn from these people and allow that to turn you into a different version of yourself that can hang in these circles? Or are you just going to eventually be phased out of all the relationships because you were never able to actually do anything? Because like just getting in the room isn't the equation. It's like you got to get in the room and then you got to do something about it. Like you're going to still have to take some action. You're still going to have to learn. You're still going to have to grow. You're still going to have to, you know, apply what you're learning from right. these people
0: and persist it's not easy right? So right like talk about coal becoming diamonds through heat and pressure yeah can you sustain that heat and pressure to break through or are you going to say rocks yeah. right like that's i mean not an old not a new idea it's just really understanding your why
1: so let's talk about the businesses that yeah. you're running because I, I know you have your hands in so many different things articulate to me from your perspective When in your career you would look back and go like that was a a really big breakthrough for me this like this one time this this particular business or this particular thing that we did like this was a big breakthrough.
0: So in circling back to your first question, which was what was after college, I actually was supposed to go work for the NBA, and three days before I was supposed to move to New York, I called Notable and moved to LA and ended up working for a celebrity events company that did a lot of nonprofit and philanthropy work as well, knowing that I wouldn't stay more than a year because after you've done one award circuit, you're not really learning more. Right. Mm. But I knew that it would accelerate my relationships and that I wanted to ultimately be in media and entertainment in a capacity that I would be able to afford voice because power is really money or voice. Mm. And I didn't have a bucket of money or, a VC behind me. So how do I capture voice for Yeah. Good? yeah. And so the irony of it was three months later, the NBA, went, the NBA went on. So three months later, the NBA went on strike and I would have lost my first job with a new apartment on a just out of Within college, three months. Yeah. You know? So the serendipity of that, I think was really important and significant deciding to go to Diageo and take that corporate job, which was so far outside of my DNA, having only worked at agencies and startups and thinking of it as like the big bad beast, you know, in mm-hmm. like corporate America, was one of the best decisions I ever made.
1: So you moved, that was when you moved from LA to New York mm-hmm. after the first job. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was the time that lapsed?
0: So I moved to LA in 2007. Okay. And seven years later, almost seven and a half, I moved to New York in 2014. Okay, Got it. And between that... I worked in sports, I worked in music, I worked in fashion. I
1: for several companies then.
0: Yeah. So okay. I um I was at a fashion marketing company. Um I had started a concierge business on the side. I was actually an executive recruiter placing C-suite executives at like Amazon Yahoo, doing trainings at Nike, started a career coaching group for this particular company. In that experience, also ended up career coaching people way outside my weight class because she was busy. <laughs> so <laughs> I now like CMOs of some of my favorite brands. I was career coaching when I was 25. (laughs) So between moving to LA and doing the celebrity events company and moving to New York to lead culture and partnerships for a liquor company, I had a lot of jobs across a lot of verticals of culture and industry. So I always consider myself category agnostic because I believe that my skill set is innovation and branding. At the core, it's how do you build brands? How do you tell stories? How do you build community? across platforms, across categories, across culture. And I worked at agencies, I worked at startups, I was in fashion, I was in music. I actually was an executive recruiter for a headhunter for a period, scaled the business almost 300 percent in three and a half years, but was doing, you know, career coaching with executives that I secretly would have loved to give my resume to and like was probably in like blink twice yeah, yeah, yeah. home syndrome because it was a pretty toxic work environment. Yeah. And while I would not wish that on anyone and I barely got out alive, it also accelerated my growth because I had to grow up so fast professionally.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I was so innocent and so naive and so gentle honestly at the time and sort yeah. of earnest that I had to really toughen up and it really mm. thickened my skin to be able to work in very male dominated industries, sure. in you know, statistically misogynistic or difficult yeah. industries and in places that I was not the majority 90% of the time right yeah yeah and so what was really interesting was in doing the executive recruiting I actually had the opportunity to not only network and build relationships because I was interviewing the best in class vp and up c suite executives in every I mean I worked with Yahoo and Amazon and Westfield and Nike and Gap and I was doing trainings with 200 HR executives that I secretly was like, take my resume now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but I realized how humbling of an experience it was because I had never been starstruck. I had never really revered celebrity because it's not how I grew up. I can appreciate that you're amazing at what you do, but it never excited me to meet someone that was like famous. Yeah. My version of starstruck was you did what where? You were the CMO or CEO of, you know, Nike or Starbucks right, right. or the CMOs of the biggest companies in the world were where I was like nervous to talk to you because they were my yeah. idols, right? Yeah. And two things I learned in executive recruiting were one, no one knows what they're doing. And two, no one knows what they're doing. Yeah. And it was the best thing you could ever learn about anything because I'm talking to these people that I worshipped at the time that their bonuses were bigger than my salary that couldn't articulate to me what they did day to day that couldn't demonstrate or explain to me the win or when they were winning or losing.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: They didn't even understand how they were delegating or automating necessarily. They right. just were sort of on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, it was really disheartening and disillusioning because sure. it was, you know, these people that I thought I was aspiring to. Right, right. Not all, but many. Yeah. And on the other hand, it was so incredibly empowering because I've never been daunted since. There's actually no room I can go into where someone, because of their title or their education or their, you know, wealth intimidates me Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I know inside you're just a scared little girl or boy, (laughs) right? right, Like everyone wants the same things. They want to get home earlier for their wife, kids, family, or downtime. Mm. They want to get their boss off their back. Everyone has a boss, whether you're independent or corporate, whether you're servicing your clients or your actual boss. Everyone has someone that they're servicing. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So how do you get to your kid's soccer game on a Sunday or get to go to that dinner and make your boss's job simpler Mm -hmm. and drive the bottom line of the company? Everything else, I don't care if it was an engineer, a head of sales, a CMO, a head of technology, no matter what the role was, it was the same needs because Maslow's hierarchy of needs doesn't change in corporations. Right. So the idea of like physiological needs, safety and security, love and affection, blah, 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 up Mm -hmm. to self-actualization is personal and professional. And so the reason people go to corporate America is in part that safety and security are parents' pension plans or, you know, guarantees. But how guaranteed is a corporate job if it's at will any more than a contract as an entrepreneur? Right. So it was really incredibly interesting.
1: Difference is one of them teaches you how to hunt. And like go create another opportunity again.
0: Yes. Yeah. And you asked me what was one of the biggest game changers in my career when I had a really big breakthrough. And ironically, it was the opposite. So I didn't need to learn how to hunt. I didn't need to learn how to innovate. I didn't need to learn how to build brands in the sense that that was my hard wiring. I would not wish being an entrepreneur on anyone. I would love <laughs> to love complacency. I promise you that is not a line. Sign me up. <laughs> I would love to be satisfied <laughs> Say by that all the time. life. Yep. I'm not. Yep. It's not who I am. It's not who I will ever be. Yep. But what I did need to learn was how do you learn the codes to break them? How do you learn the rules to break them? And so what I had not done was infuse and integrate structure up until that point. And so going to Diageo and going to corporate America, all of the things I hated about it are the same things that I loved and took from it, which were the importance of routine Mm. and operations and administration and all of the things that drove me crazy. And I probably drove my peers and bosses crazy because I was like a radical (laughs) renegade and disruptor in a very status quo organization. I was on a very nimble team where that particular team really valued disruption and mm. and culture, but within the bigger ecosystem of the belly of the beast, there's no corporation in the world that prefers change to, you know, sure. not change. Sure. But I couldn't have been a CEO of a venture-backed startup. I couldn't have started my own agency, and I certainly couldn't be developing the company I am now. Yeah. If I hadn't learned how to build, I knew how to hire and build teams. I knew how to create products. I knew how to sell and tell stories. Yeah. I didn't know infrastructure. I didn't know tax law. I didn't know the legalese and how to protect or FTC versus FDA. Right, right, right. And I certainly didn't know, like, if my dad wasn't on my back about IRS and taxes, I probably would have gone bankrupt multiple times (laughs) over, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because we glorify ownership and we glorify entrepreneurship. And I am guilty of that. Totally. I love it. I think it's so important. Equity matters, but it's not for everyone. Yeah. And a lot of times we call freelancing or independent artistry entrepreneurship. But yeah. There is no infrastructure. There is no sustainability. Solopreneurship. Exactly. Yeah. It's
1: much much different.
0: Right. And it and it's not something that can actually empower people always sometimes. Mm. But being a freelancer doesn't necessarily empower the same opportunities that entrepreneurship does if you are able to monetize your mission or profit from your passion or really create commerce around the things that you love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm always shouting from the rooftops that if more people had the privilege and luxury to do what they love, If not world peace, you would at least have happier colleagues.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And less road rage. Yes, definitely
0: (laughs) less road rage. (laughs)
1: Um, Okay, so you worked a lot in corporate, held a ton of different jobs, a ton of different positions. But now you have a female-led gaming company, correct? And then you have the Loop studios. And then you said you're working on a couple of other projects or everything's yeah. culminated to something coming up yeah. very soon. So, that, so I'd love that to was hear the, the, the Perfect bridge. summary of
0: the last couple of years. Okay. Um, but yes, I partnered to start the first diverse women's gaming collective. We raised a few million dollars. I was one of the only venture backed women CEOs in gaming in that capacity, mm-hmm. which I didn't know going into it because it's 2020 at the time. And I almost said 2022. It's 2020 at the time. And like, that sounds ridiculous. But the goal was to really shape shift an industry in a way that would push for culture and diversity and gender equity Mm -hmm. because gaming is 49% women and no one was talking to them or paying them.
1: That is a surprising statistic to me. Wow. That is surprising. Higher
0: globally for mobile and skewed even more um, female in Asia. Wow. And that's just self-identity. And you have to remember, women also don't often identify as gamers if they're not like a sweaty basement gamer.
1: Sure, right? sure, yeah.
0: And so I didn't even feel like, I felt like a fraud and imposter complex at first because I had peeked yeah. Mortal Kombat and like yeah, Mario Kart, maybe right. a little Yoshi here and there. <laughs> uh, you know, tear up some Tetris. But I didn't consider mobile games games. Yeah, I didn't consider my parents thinking I was going to be a city planner because they couldn't get me to dinner because I was on SimCity all the time mm. and trying to build infrastructures for yeah. society. <laughs> as a gamer. Right? yeah, And so I really had a skewed view and I looked at it as cult culture and building community and all of that, but it really took a long time for me to realize, oh, I'm actually in gaming and a gamer too. Yeah. My mom plays Wheel of Fortune on her iPad every day. She's a gamer. Mm. So it's how do you define these things to allow for more identity and belonging and access to entry? So with that, I also had launched Loop. Loop is a change agency. It's all women-led and operated. My business partner, who is now CEO as of a year and a half ago, had an incredible background in serial entrepreneurship and really finding white space and gaps in different aspects of culture, but had worked a lot in Black Hollywood and PR and events. And so when we were really restructuring I didn't want it to be bound by my billable hour anymore. Mm. And so much of it, you know, Loop was actually a DBA from First Mind Media and Marketing that incorporated 2012. Gotcha. And so up until 2019, it was a side hustle. It was a consultancy. It was a freelance. It was technically an entrepreneurial LLC. Mm. certainly have tax write-ups to prove it. (laughs)
1: Sure, sure.
0: But I didn't look to build an empire or a team. It was just how I made money selling my brain. Got it. And when I partnered with Antoinette and she and I really built out the brand of Loop Yeah. and the team being this diverse women's change yeah. agency, it was how do we go beyond just the strategy work to strategic marketing, PR, experiential events, but also social media and influencer marketing in ways yeah. that crack the code and play a little bit of a Trojan horse or Robin Hood where you're getting the big corporate dollars to allocate into community and culture to to demonstrate that diversity is lucrative. Yeah. And then with cool startups, how do you help them start off and start up properly? Working with everyone from Activision Blizzard and launching the Call of Duty League to some brands at Diageo and other liquors like Lobo 1707 with LeBron James or the first men's company that DJ Khaled launched, whether it was celebrity or corporation or just really cool creatives with startups. It was about transformative change. Hmm. And that's why it was a change agency versus a marketing agency, or is rather. For me right now, everything that we just spoke about around education and acumen for entrepreneurs is what led to, as an extension of Loop, I'm launching Lucid Vision, which at its core is a media company. But the offering is really ed tech, because I truly believe that if you can accelerate learning, you can accelerate earning. And we talk about, as children, you might be audio or visual or haptic. But only as children do we actually service our learning styles. Mm. As we get older and we get into school and academia, it's one way to learn. It's books. It's seminars. It's things that most entrepreneurs and creatives actually don't flourish in, Mm -hmm. much less survive or thrive, right? And so through AI, through machine learning, through digitizing the academic experience, I've come up with a process that I think can really help accelerate um, the way that we learn Mm. and be very nimble to your performance when you need more video, when you need more audio, and really being an expert and experts of curating curriculum that is with the best of the best, which as we talked about earlier, is one of the only ways to go directly to the source and think Mastermind and masterclass. Yeah, yeah. This is serving in between TikToks and TED Talks. And between that TikTok and TED Talk is short form content and education. It's not that you don't get the full curriculum, it's that you can get it broken down and served to you in ways that you can actually retain it and apply Hmm. it. And it's tiered so that you might need a 101 course in one thing and the executive might need a 401 course in another. But when you look at these masterminds and courses, and I have a lot of friends with them and I think they're amazing but I don't think that they, they're supplementary and complementary and great. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they service the gap if you're not going and getting that degree. Sure. And so how do you kind of digitize degrees? Mm. The dream is to have facilities and actual academic buildings uh, that would have workspace, performance space, shopping space, learning space. Um, But the starting point is digital.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. So this is all culminated in the last week, two weeks.
0: So it's, Honestly, it's been probably six months in the making in terms of development. Okay. I'm in pre-production right now. And actually this past week selected the tech partner and I'm starting to do the fundraising. But I think that I had a download in this past week where I don't know if it was an epiphany or an existential crisis. Maybe a <laughs> Time little, will tell. A yeah, <laughs> comedy, a <little> comedy, <laughs> Where I had this wake up moment of wow, everything I've ever done led me to here. When I looked at being an executive recruiter as sort of like a random thing, or at that time partnering to do a docu-series with Bravo and NBC, where I helped create a show about it, Mm -hmm. to having a radio show that was one of the top performing sports talk shows in college, to skipping entire chapters of the career because we only have so much time, but winning a reality show for a six-figure job With an Emmy award-winning producer to learn producing, not as a PA, but then actually having to do the job, and was the director of social media and marketing for the Challenger brand to Equinox. Every single weird job I've had since I was a child fits into this in a squarely servicing way that I couldn't have. I couldn't have engineered. Yeah, but I would say it's actually 21 years in the making because the core of Lucid Vision is. The content, right? Being able to give entrepreneurs an opportunity. And and the mission in a lot of ways is how do you inspire and empower creators to realize their dreams, mm. right? But the asterisk for creators is if you have a if you have an imagination, you're a creator.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm a creator, you're a creator, executives, entrepreneurs, freelancers, artists, corporate executives even, who is not a creator? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when I say creator accelerator, I don't mean You know, how do you create a digital funnel or make money off your Instagram? Right. I mean, how do you build entrepreneurship and education on running companies effectively for creatives that just want to create? Right. 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 If I could just get paid to go sit in a corner and create, I would love someone else to do all the paperwork. I promise you that. Totally. Yeah. But it's so, so, so important. And so back when I was 16, I created Leaders and Artists United for Change, which was the launch foundation and the launch fund. And I shit you not, I've been paying GoDaddy, shout out to GoDaddy, (laughs) if you want to give me any discounts at this point, um, for all of these domain names from thelaunchfoundation.com and .org to launch fund to when I was doing, um, I wanted to do Tinder for um, basically matchmaking jobs and creators. Yeah. And I had funding uh, lined up. I had met with Jonathan Bedin, who was the CTO and founder of Tinder to understand swipe technology. But at that moment, it didn't announce... um, a recommendation engine in beta. And I thought they had figured out my Mm, idea. Yeah, And I was like, hi, Goliath, David. This is a waste of my time, right? Right. I still have a gig getter and (laughs) (laughs) getagig.com. So my point is all these things kind of culminate, but within the next three months, Launch Foundation will be approved as a 501c3. The Launch Fund is effectively a culture fund. And In the last month alone, I became an advisor on a half-billion-dollar fund that is giving me a lot of the experience to really understand how to develop that in a way that's more than just taking corporate dollars and helping creative entrepreneurs like I've done in my career, but actually build businesses in a portfolio. Hmm. So it's just wild that like the very first question you asked me was, walk me through or talk to 11-year-old Elisa. Yeah. 11-year-old Elisa knew what she wanted to do a lot better than 21-year-old Elisa or even 31-year-old Elisa. Mm. And I think we spend most of our 20s figuring out who we are and most of our 30s finding who we were. And when I was in Mm. college, I had a picture with a post-it and a thumbtack, because post-its don't really stick, let's be honest, on the hutch of my dorm desk. And it was this, I have to find it. If I ever find this, I will send it to you. But it was this ridiculous picture where I'm like, you see the rhododendron's everywhere I destroyed the yard and I'm like holding these rhododendrons and I have this giant almost like Kentucky Derby pink top hat that hat on and probably the only pink dress I ever owned. one jelly shoe, the other one somewhere in the yard, the knocked over kids' chair, a boa, not sure why or from where. And I just have this shitty ding grin and I'm like, you know, and yeah. I think I was around seven, maybe five, five to seven. I looked five for like 10 years. So I don't know how old I was, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. <laughs> I, looked, I basically looked five until I was 20. But uh, I had so much joy in that photo. Mm-hmm. And I was such a ham. So all of the pictures of me, I'm either like hanging from a monkey bar like this or yeah, like, yeah. Look like my legs are broken. I have so much attitude in all these pictures. But in this one, I'm just a happy kid. Yeah. And the post-it said, did you make her proud today? Because I don't have kids. And I didn't have kids at the time. Obviously, I would still have kids I mean, that was weird, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't have children, but I looked at what would I want my daughter to look up to. Mm. And when I thought about my daughter, I thought about my inner child. Yeah, And so I've always looked at, am I making my inner child proud? And it's honestly kept me really honest because it's been a moral compass. It's been totally. an aspect yeah. of not only integrity and decision-making, but also what brings you joy? How yeah. do you bring back play? Yeah. So why did I get into liquor? I don't even drink that much. Yeah. I like selling celebration. I got into mm. sports because it was emotional marketing. I got into gaming because there was community. I got into Web3 because it was around this tribal affinity for the same things and yeah. how do we wag me, right? And so for me, I think, how do you gamify and play so that you can enrich and enlist that inner child? which is the base of art. It is the base of creative. It is the base of conversation and making friends and storytelling. Cause I definitely didn't get the memo. Don't talk to strangers. (laughs) So I love what you're doing because even shifting from the idea of like the value of the network to the value of relationship currency and capital is so important. And I think that goes back to your childhood self too, of like, I just want to go play outside with my friends.
1: It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Watching, I, I have I have two little kids. My son is three and a half. and My it's daughter will be two next week. And yeah, it is two, two yep. She doesn't
0: know yet? <laughs>
1: she is a talker. Okay. She talks forever. It's crazy, actually, how much she says already. But she, uh, it's just crazy watching kids make friends. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. Like, you just go to a playground, and then you see, like, my son will just go up to this other little kid, and then they'll just, like... Start running together. Right, it's as simple as that. You like it's trust, just like, I like trust. yeah, it's you just like, slides, like, I like slides. hey, we're both at this playground. You want to play? Yeah. You know, it's just the, like, the it's just low. the the innocence is like, it, it's it's yeah. a breath of fresh air. Yeah, there's there's no judgment, there's no bias that like the world hasn't taught them to think a certain way yeah. about people or to come up with these prejudgments yeah. and. And, you know, there's no, and, and then the opposite way is like to be really self-conscious and like, I don't, you know, what would they think? Like none of that exists. Right. It's just, to learned. your point, pure innocence, joy, happiness at, in, in its in its most pure form. So, and
0: love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It speaks totally. to you
0: as a parent as well, though, because and? I believe we're born empty. We mm. are just God self, creative potentiality, mm. and love. And everything else we learn, whether it's kindness or insecurity, anger, hate, anything else, we learn, Mm -hmm. right? Like, we are not innately evil. We are not innately hateful. We are not innately misogynistic or racist or bigoted or any of that. Mm -hmm. We learn these things to protect and preserve our own sense of self. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of hurt people hurt people is so real Mm -hmm. because it's defense mechanisms to protect and make sense of the world around you. And you as a parent have not taught your, excuse me, you as a parent have not taught your children those things, which is why they can go to a playground and talk to a kid that looks different than them Mm -hmm. and make friends off the cuff without wondering, are you going to screw me over? Are you going to hurt my feelings? Are you going to steal my toy? Right, right. Which as we get older, we have to unlearn. And I actually believe that so much of what we require is unlearning and reprogramming way more than anything we
1: need to well, That is a perfect place to move into the final, final question here that I have for you. The show's called Travis Makes Friends. And I kind of told you this pre-recording, but essentially we figured out over 800 episodes of Build Your Network that networking and making friends is basically the same activity. So I'm curious to hear from you. As an adult, I feel like... The more connected we are, the more disconnected we are. Meaning, like we have social media and we're super connected, but also like it makes for a ton of really shallow relationships, um, which are actually, in my opinion, like overall worse for your mental health if you don't That's have fair. people that you can go deep with. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear a relationship, a friendship that you've made, yeah, business or otherwise, in the last three to five years as an adult, who is somebody that you've made friends with and how did you make friends with that person?
0: I think I have a lot of examples of that. But I think, first of all, called me an adult, which is the first mistake. Um, <laughs> but as a child front- Adult by adult, age as only, an yeah. child, yeah. as an elder child, <laughs> yeah. um, I think that, I'll take it macro and then I'll take it micro because I know it's a direct question. But yeah. beyond any one specific relationship, because I can give a couple- really interesting examples for different reasons. I think at large, it is about shared values. Yeah. I think when we're younger, it's about shared interests. And we talk about being like-minded, sure. right? And I think like-minded is good, but I look at what is like gold, what is like sold, what is like-hearted, because I don't really care for like-minded. Mm. I actually surround myself with the United Colors of Benetton, racially, gender, ethnographically, socioeconomically. I like being around people that don't think like me because Mm. I think I learn from them. I grow from them. They challenge me. I have to think differently. So while I like like like-minded people, I don't seek it. I actually seek people that share the same family values, Mm. the same desire for legacy and social impact, the same enterprising Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, even if they're executives, it's mentality. Here's sure. the thing. It's not about yeah. the role. It's choosing change versus status quo. Mm. And I really love passionate people. Yeah. So I find myself gravitating to people that are brutally honest, that are very secure and comfortable in their own skin and can be at home anywhere. I, I joke sometimes you can bring me from the Trap House to the White House, from Congress <laughs> to Hamptons, and there's no you're going to get the same version of me in every sure. setting. And selfishly, I appreciate people that have that same quality because I exist in a lot of worlds, professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. I want to know I can bring you anywhere. Right. But I'll say this, the way you asked a process question, which is how, I think how is showing up in places that people may have common interests as a baseline Yeah. because that has to do with where you spend your time.
1: Sure, so sure. So
0: I do a lot of like boxing or hiking or yeah things like masterminds and conferences and I'm immersed in settings where it's people that may be in the same general yeah. lane. And then the vetting process is exactly who are you as a person.
1: Yeah. I think that like, that's going to naturally be a higher concentration of people that have similar values by starting with like similar, you know, yeah. interests. It's yeah. like you start with a similar interest, but if you get a bunch of people who have very similar interests to you, you are you have a higher hit rate on the yeah. percentage of people in that room that are yeah. also
0: going to match you in terms of values and actually becoming somebody that you want to be I friends with. And I think it's with. the co-signer, the vouch too, right? So like I've met some really amazing people through really amazing people. Totally, totally. Because there's also a lot of crazies out there. So you <laughs> yeah. might meet some interesting characters. Oh, yeah. But yeah. like, I think, again, it's how do you accelerate the process? Mm. The expeditious way is to meet through someone. And so even female friends or relationships I've been in, The best that happened the fastest was usually because there was a connective tissue Mm. or a third party that had already kind of understood each of us to where you need to know each other. And a lot of times I get introduced because someone wants career advice or a brand sponsorship or something, access to an event or a celebrity but that doesn't always indicate who someone is. Everyone has similar needs. Yeah. And so I've had some really great relationships foster from just weird rogue introductions or meeting at a party or an event or on the bus or, you know, you, I don't think the where matters. I do think, listen, like there's a stronger likelihood if you are a spiritual religious person and you meet someone at church, you might have more in common sure. than someone you met at, say, Whole Foods. The bar. Or else, right. <laughs> yeah, Right. Or if you meet someone at the bus, same thing, Right. right? But I think we forget that we're really robust people. The same person you meet at church on a Sunday, you might also meet at the bar on a Friday. Sure. Right? Sure. The same person that is calling because they need tickets to the Grammys might also be the same person that is feeding the homeless with me on Sunday right. for a friend's birthday right. and cares. Right. Mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I think allowing the nuances of people's character and complexity to lead instead of compartmentalizing for your own comfort. It's really, really key to that.
1: Lisa, this is a lot of fun. Before we take off here, uh wanna, you know, get you back to your schedule. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. Where should people find you? Where should people connect with you?
0: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks for letting me be one of your friends. Um I love it's <laughs> official. It's official. Yeah. Friendship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Um I really love it though. Honestly, before I answer that, I love the rebranding because I really think that that matters. And I really think there's a huge difference between relationship building and networking and friend making. And I I feel very fortunate. I always hashtag my friends are dope because I'm so grateful to be able to promote and applaud the incredible things that they're doing all the time. Mm. And I think you have a really amazing gravity and ability to magnetize, not just great stories, but great people. Yeah, Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to find me, I'm at Ginger Jacobs on basically every platform. It's at G-I-N-G-E-R-J-A-C-O-B-S. My spelling is correct. And um, my agency is at Loop Says, L-O-O-P-S-A-Y-S. Perfect. It is uh, really an incredible group of women. Um, and it's loopstudios.com, L-O-O-P-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com.
1: Perfect. So if you're listening, go check out some stuff from Elisa. I know, I know that you're going to find some amazing things on all of her social platforms because I know that I do. So um, at Ginger Jacobs on all social go follow her. tell her what's up. Tell her you heard about her here on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you guys next time. Peace out. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to Travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's Travischapel.com slash team.